Data carries so much power in helping us understand people and situations. How can we leverage that data to understand real stories? Where is human input still needed? How can we empower people when asking permission to take measurements or collect data? All of this and more on today's podcast, Data, People, and Dignity. I'm Carrie Winfrey, design lead at OK Thanks and Guardian Project. Here with me is my co-host, Tiffany Robertson, joining us from Long Beach, California. Tiffany, how's the weather there today? Well, the weather, as most days, is sunny, slightly breezy, and smelling divine. Lovely. We have three incredible women joining us today. Bronwyn Robertson, she's the co-founder of Data for Change, uh, joining us from the UK. Georgia Bulin, Executive Director at Simply Secure, joining us from New York. And Antonella Debisi, UX Director at the Tor Project, joining us from Argentina. So data can be a sensitive topic within human rights and In everything we do, we work to handle it with care and with human dignity at the forefront of our decision-making. We're going to dive right into our topic today um, around data and how it helps us understand context. Bronwyn, could you tell us from your experience how data has helped your organization and the public at large understand context? Sure. I mean, straight in there with the Super easy question, obviously. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, I mean, it is actually a pretty tricky question because one of the things that Data for Change does is work with um, civil society organizations that are collecting data uh, and we empower them to tell um, better stories uh, or, or tell more powerful stories with the, the data that they have or to collect new uh, data. I guess one of the the really important things about the um, organizations and people that we're working with is that more often than not, the data that they're working with is collected about their own uh, community or people who are close to them. Um, And I think that that is something really important uh, in terms of getting kind of like real-time context because in so many of the locations where uh, we're working, Aside from the data that that these organizations are collecting, we're really reliant on um, data that's collected by, for instance, uh, the World Bank um, or you know the World Food Program, uh, and those large data sets miss a lot of the story, uh, particularly of at risk or, or marginalized or vulnerable groups. Uh, so, working directly with people to collect data and information about their own communities and tell those stories in a more powerful way. I think, gives us access to a context that isn't always present in the bigger narrative. And where have you seen um, in your work, kind of what impact has that had when you're able to pull those stories out and share them with, you know, the the public at large or with the particular audiences that you're targeting through um, the project? Um, I think one of the, the, the most interesting uh, stories that we have um, was an organization that we worked with uh, that was collecting 
um, data from uh, communities around uh, reporting of sexual harassment and sexual violence and trying to understand where uh, those incidents were being reported uh, and where they weren't, and then trying to understand why. Um, And through looking at sort of not uh, big data sets, but very specific data sets, uh, they were able to um, figure out that the reason uh, in one particular location that people were more likely to come forward and to report those incidences was because there was a specially trained uh, police officer who had had um, sensitization training. Uh, she was a female, uh, and that was the only police station in the area that had that particular role. And so they were able to use that data and uh, the insights from the data set that they'd gathered uh, to then petition the local government uh, to roll out training to all police stations and to try and replicate that. Um, so I think you know it's very small data sets having a very big impact in local communities. So with the, we're doing this podcast in light of the Clean Insights work, uh, which is kind of focused on giving open source teams the ability to begin to measure usage patterns and, um, yeah, to begin to measure usage patterns and how people are using apps, what kind of problems they're running into within the open source world. Um, and Georgia, we've had some conversations around the role that metrics can play or having this type of information can play in kind of giving background contextual information to inform decisions about um, how we design, how we design those things. Um, And Georgia, you know, you've had quite a wealth of experience in just coaching a lot of different open source teams, um, along with working on a lot of various data projects. Where do you think the most potential lies in this opportunity to have metrics incorporated into these types of apps? Yeah, I think, I mean, kind of building on what Bronwyn was saying, part of the question is, um, what does a community, and in this case, that is um, the people using an application or a developer team or you know a group of folks that are trying to solve some problem for which they're using an application, right? Um, what is the question we want to be able to answer and what do we want to know? And so the, uh, I think there's things like, I think some of the common things that come up is people want to know where a tool is used or I mean, the bigger question is what is the impact of that, right? Like, are we able to understand how the reason we're building this tool, um, say some problem uh, like uh, freedom of access to information, right? If we want to understand that people can get access to information, we're building technology to try and, address an issue where they might not have that access. Um, We want to know that that is being successful. So, you know, are people actually able to get access to something? Um, What uh, is it helping them? How, what challenges do they have? Um, How is this addressing a need that a community has identified? Uh, And I think, you know, there's lots of ways to potentially decide how to measure that. Um, Some of my, some of that might just be about finding ways to, ask for input from the users of those tools or the people being served by that technology. Um, And that can feed into also like things that you might just be able to 
measure more passively from the technology itself. Yeah, absolutely. And it brings up this interesting topic of, of impact measurement. Um, and I'm curious to hear, just I'm going to open up the question to everyone here now, if there's any any kind of thoughts to share or experience in measuring impact. I'm not sure, Bronwyn, it's a little bit of a different story in um, your work with um, the data set around sexual harassment. Um, I mean, in that case, you were able to make a case through the story and um, people were coming forward and you're were kind of advocating for change out of that. And the impact was really coming out of that. Is there anything that you did kind of like following up on that project to uh, kind of measure what the outcome of that work was? Yeah. So the organization that we worked with to do that um, had uh, a lot of offline and online advocacy efforts around it and did um, measure the impact of that in terms of number of of cases reported and also number of new police officers trained. Um, But perhaps an interesting one uh, in this kind of conversation to talk about, and this is tying in a little bit to to George's uh, comments around sort of access to information, um, Data for Change as a a studio is about to launch a new suite of tools uh, that will help civil society organizations to engage in the universal periodic review. Um, And for that, we scraped about 70,000 recommendations from the United Nations database uh, and looked at the sort of um, political dynamics between different countries. uh, And we also started to um, understand how access to information, freedom of expression online was playing out in that field. And by using that data and then building these tools, which have been in beta for about a year to help civil society organizations write recommendations in a way um, that is more commonly kind of accepted in that forum. Um, And then also to understand which countries, uh, to use the data to understand which countries they would be most likely uh, to have an impact on if they were to go and lobby them to take the recommendations forth. Uh, we've already started to see that the number of digital rights or human rights online recommendations at the Universal Periodic Review is already doubling um, in, the, in the third cycle, which is the cycle that we're in now. So I think that in terms of sort of a very clear objective uh, and then an application again of a tool and then being able to measure something is more defined. But a lot of our work, it's really, really tricky to measure the impact, particularly when there's um, offline advocacy efforts. Um, and Tanella, let's pull you into this to this topic as well. Um, and Tanella, you're deeply integrated into the tour team, bravely leading design there. Um, Could you tell us a little, just Miriam, back up a little bit, but tell us a little bit about tour and tour metrics and and, um, how tour metrics begins to paint a picture of, you know, what is happening in various countries and um, the kind of insights we can potentially glean from that. Yeah, so the project is an open project. Um, we work towards defending privacy online. Um, it's critical the work Metric is doing for the project because um, in the same way all the teams inside the project works, Metrics also 
try to keep our methodologies um, protecting our end users. We, we work often with um, users at risk, you know that. Um, so it's critical that the way we are measuring um, the tools people is using, um, it's, it's, it's not um, hurt, hurting them. Um, the metrics, I, I mean, the user experience team works as a bridge between users and developers. We work across all the teams in the project. Um, metrics host all the open data that we collect about the network. And this is critical for the organization specifically because it helps us to keep transparency on all the actors of the network. The network is made by relay operators, by users, by bridges operators, um, by applications, by different clients. So it's, there are a lot of different roles inside the ecosystem that are represented by this data. Um, how we use this data? I mean, they are researchers um, looking at these numbers all the time. They are academics running research on that. We use the data to figure out, for example, um, when we see um, a spike of breaches um, request, we understand that some censorship is happening in some specific country. When we release a new top browser, for example, we understand how many people is updating it. We are not, I mean, the product we are shipping doesn't have tracking. Um, top browser is made based on Firefox. Firefox has a specific telemetry system that tracks everything that you do in the browser. But we in the browser uh, have this disable. We don't have this data. So, um, we rely on this metrics portal um, to understand how people is using our, our products and where people is having problems to connect into the network. Um, Does it yeah. give you, how good of an idea do you get from it on the impact that Tor is having? Yeah, I mean, for example, we can understand in which countries people is downloading more Tor browser. Um, by looking at metrics, um, it's 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 the only way that we can figure it we can figure it it's down. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious also to hear how it for from your position and working on the user experience of the various Tor apps, how it helps your process and how it helps inform the des des design decisions that you make um, yeah. on a daily basis or. I feel like you make a lot of design that, decisions every day. <laughs> yeah, something specific. For example, um, when we released our project.org, the new website, we try to understand which locales were the most critical for um, having translated. So we rely really on, on tour metrics to understand where people is downloading the browser. And we try to offer um, our locales for um, torproject.org in the places where people was downloading Tor browser before. So that is like small um, decisions that are made by the data we have open um, in the metrics portal. Cool. Uh, so from what I understand, uh, Georgia and her team at Simply Secure is going to be taking uh, a stab, I'm going to call it taking a stab, <laughs> is going to be working um, to design, uh, to push the design forward on the Tormetrics dashboard. Um, Georgia, could you tell us a little bit about that project and um, 
a little bit about the project and then your dream for the next generation of tour metrics? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think sort of actually how this kind of all ties together, right, is understanding that there's there's data in uh, that exists in the world that is helpful to understand what's going on, like the data that Bronwyn was talking about um, from the, I actually had not heard about this, but the universal, um, what it was, the universal periodic review. Like we, I think one of the ways in which tour metrics, Antonella was talking about tour serving um, some of tour's own needs, uh, but also you know, we all exist in this ecosystem of data where it's helpful to, um, if we want to understand how we're, you know, improving human rights or what places are are closing more, right? We it's useful to look at these data sets together. Um, like, tour, what we're trying to understand with tour metrics is who's using it, how are they using it. So we're we're going to sort of kick off an an interview process where we will talk to people and collect more actually like story based data, like more experiential data from those interviews um, to then think about ways that we can make that easier for people to leverage. And I could imagine it being really useful to folks that are working on even more than it is now, but folks that are working on um, different applications that are trying to address different problems that we know exist in the um, information ecosystem and human rights, internet freedom ecosystem. So I, I think we're excited to learn more about what people need it to do better for them and how to solve those problems. And, you know, I could see actually like tools like the one Bronwyn was talking about um, actually leveraging things like tour metrics to feed into those uh, data sets to give people more information about what you can learn from um, the internet freedom space. Yeah, I, I'm just smiling because uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like um, one thing that I would be super interested to see in terms of tour metrics is like what the outliers are. So it, it mm -hmm. does a really good job at telling us um, where people are using it, what the performance is, but to, to be able to sort of look at a glance and see like where that connectivity drops or whether the, where there's a massive spike in usage, that would, I hypothesize, directly correlate with the sort of work we're doing at the Universal Periodic Review where we're looking at trying to, and I know there are a lot of other really great organizations that are doing this as well, but sort of looking at internet shutdowns or content blocking um, and so if we're making or trying to push through recommendations about access uh, to information, freedom of expression, uh, being able to see sort of like real time where there's these pinch points in, in the global map, it would be really interesting. That is exciting. Yeah, um, super exciting. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, when you have a large set of open data, you can, I mean, we can open a lot of different questions. And this this can trigger a lot of assumptions and yeah, and it's it's critical. And I think a lot of this starts from saying like what can we know about or like what are things I think what's interesting here is you know, uh, Tor metrics probably actually started from a place of just needing Tor needing to know if Tor was working, right? So how can you um I, I mean, until you were talking about when you get requests for bridges, right, or um, uh, knowing stuff about how the tour network is performing. So a lot of that is about choosing to measure tour itself. Uh, but then by making that open, you know, you enable this like larger analysis and it helps give other people context as well as like seeing what questions people have of the data. Like we can learn more about 
what problems are going on, what other things we might want to measure and bring back in. So I think there's this really interesting um, conversation that we have when we start to say, like, what can we measure? How can we do that in a way that um, is like conscious of privacy issues and protects, make sure we're protecting the people who are are being measured, right? Um, and how that can feed into a healthy ecosystem that lets us understand, like, are we succeeding in making change? I want to kind of introduce another piece into this, which is where do we still need humans? <laughs> so um, there's so much that we can gain from these large open data sets. Um, what areas do you guys feel like where metrics maybe fail or don't give the full picture? Bronwyn, I may put you on the spot on this one to kick us off. Um, since you guys do so much kind of work hand in hand with communities, um, potentially there's something to speak to there with um, any gaps you feel like maybe have been in data sets on projects you've worked on where actually working with people and understanding more of those stories may inform better what is actually happening. I mean, yes, I'm, but I'm also probably at one end of a, of the spectrum on, on this and quite far on that end of the spectrum, which is that I would say that human input is needed all the time and at all stages. Um, but I think one thing that we do need to do is to sort of articulate what that human input is, because even right from the very beginning, if a human decides to ask a question and then collect data about it, um, the data set that's then collected is inherently biased by the person who's decided to collect that data, which doesn't mean that we shouldn't be collecting the data. It just means that we should be talking about how we're collecting it, why we're collecting it, um, and making that available to others who might then come across that data set um, sort of out of the original context. Um, but in terms of, sort of the the kind of qualitative and quantitative spectrum as well, I think um, even when we're working with, with big data sets, if we sort of find... Uh, an outlier or an angle that we want to kind of drill into, making assumptions about why we're seeing that is partly difficult and also partly dangerous. And I think that's where the human input comes in. So we can collect big data, open data, and then find out that for a particular period of time, um, so we were seeing something happen. But unless we talk to people about why that might have been happening, um, and start to understand the context at that particular point in time, if it's a time series data set or, or so forth, then we wouldn't really get a true, a true picture um, of that. So I think sometimes uh, as humans, we can lead the, the conversation by asking the questions, and sometimes the data actually tells us what, to, what we need to be asking. Absolutely. I think, you know, I've had conversations about this with Georgia and Tiffany both about how in some cases the what, the insight that you're getting back is really giving you a lead into something to investigate or to know more about. Um, exactly. And with a lot yeah. of the final outputs from a, a data for change um, event or sprint where we're working with civil society organizations, the data doesn't end up 
being the forefront of of the campaign. It just informs what that advocacy effort um, should be, but in combination with user research, um, looking at sort of target audiences, where they are, uh, what they're doing, how you can sort of communicate best with them. Um, so that ties in as well to what, what Georgia was mentioning before about all of these points kind of needing to come together. Yeah, absolutely. And Tanella, in your experience at Tor, um, have you, I guess, from the, and looking at the metrics and how it can kind of inform your process and what you're about to do next, are, have you ever noticed any gaps where it's kind of spurred you on to say, well, maybe let's like do a focus group around this or reach out and do a little more research around this area? Um, to help us get a better understanding of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, all the data we have, it's outside the browser. Uh, I don't have anything inside the browser. I cannot see what users are doing inside the client, for example, which is the product I'm working with. So that is really complicated. Um, this is why we really on qualitative feedback um, for making iterations on the product. Um, it's it's quite hard to find, I mean, to try to have these hard numbers um, as a background for making these decisions. Often these decisions are made by our research, our user research we made in field with communities, with our users in the global south. Um, and this is, I mean, these user stories are um documenting the work we are doing so it's it's like a mix between the hard data and the data you collect from people seeing firsthand and how you can synthesize these both um, different structures um, and how we make decisions based on that. Georgia do you have anything to add on on this note about kind of having hard data and combining it with soft data or can anything to add about how Simply Secure has leveraged anything coming out of Tor Metrics to kind of prompt what you do next in a kind of re in user research phase of a project? Yeah, I mean, I think a um, a good a, a case that I think comes up a lot if you're thinking about how data you're offering is serving your um, community uh, is you know like website analytics feels like a thing that a lot of people think about or that we're, um, I mean, Intel was talking about sort of understanding the, since you can't speak to anything about what people are doing while they're using Tor, right? Because they're not collecting any data about that. Um, but we still know if we take the metrics website itself, like we potentially could have, and maybe there is <laughs> uh, already um, analytics about what parts of a website people use, right? That's a really common thing that um, lots of websites do. We see warnings about that data collection on the internet all the time. Uh, and part of what people are trying to do there is try to understand where, um, what are the aspects of that uh, interface that people are um using the most, which ones they're not. I think that the point to like, where do people come into play and how to kind of tie that all together is by interviewing people or by surveying people or having focus groups, you can start to understand just because people aren't using a part of a thing like a website or an application, you know, is that because 
they can't find it? Is that because um, it's hard to use? Is that a is that a design problem, uh, or is that like that's not of interest, right? That's not serving a need that they have. But unless you you, know, you could just be looking at the analytics and you might make assumptions there um, that might t- have it help you define what those research questions are, and then you can talk to people in a variety of ways or like surveys or focus groups or interviews um, to get a better understand of why that might be the case or what the context is when they're using different parts of a tool. Um, and so I actually think that interplay is really important. Uh, so we use data um, when we can. I think uh, that can be really useful to inform how to dig in on the ways that the tools you're designing and developing actually serve people's needs. But that means understanding those needs and understanding how to serve them. Tiff, I see your hand raised, so I'm gonna leave some space for you. Yes, thank you. Um, I am really enjoying this conversation, and I think we, um, each one of us, maybe deal with this um, kind of finding the right balance between the user research and the metrics in each of the works that we do. Um, user research is one of the pieces I really love about uh, the work at OK Thanks, just ultimately being able to find those co-designed solutions, which is where I think that interplay of the user research and metrics comes into. Um, And that's really where I think the power lies is just having the ability to have both um, because we can be more effective, but also like with limited capacity in terms of um, specific tool teams we may work with or communities that are limited, um, you know, figuring out maybe it's from the metrics, which questions to ask or from the user research, diving in and them expressing concerns or issues they're having. Um, Really just being able to be that bridge, I think is vital, but not always available to to, um, product teams. And so just finding the ways that we can work together and network and have more of these conversations and discussions Um, I think are just very vital for the whole ecosystem to work in a more effective way. Yes. Thank you for that there. I agree. And I think there are a lot of good things that can come out of this interplay between um, the metrics and user research or hard and soft data, however you want to say it. So um, yeah, wonderful. Thank you, guys. I want to. I'd like to ch- shift gears slightly. Um, at the beginning of our talk, um, I mentioned that data can be a sensitive topic within human rights. So we actually have Nathan Freitas, our fearless leader at Guardian Project, is going to be doing a podcast on threat modeling for analytics, which I think is going to be super interesting and great. Uh, I want to take a few minutes to talk about how to just talk about people and their tolerance for being measured or having data collected about them. I think within many of the audiences that we and communities we work with within internet freedom, um, we've many products have put out this promise of like your privacy is first. And for, for the most part, just don't collect any 
a lot or any data on what's happening. And, you know, this is with the Clean Insights Project, this is, if we're starting to break into this a little more to ask us to find a way technically how we can do this in a way that's secure and um, still preserves people's privacy. Um, I'd like to get everyone's input really though on how how we roll this out in a way that people within our communities will tolerate it and feel empowered um, rather than kind of having the normal associations they would with like, oh, this, these large another comp- another company is just tracking my data um but it's it's different and i'm curious to get your thoughts on how do we go about asking consent in a way that is empowering for people we have this this experience where when we explain people the work we are doing when we put people in the center of the questions we are making and when we involve the people we are working with um, on the products we are shipping, they get super excited to collaborate. Um, And I think being honest in the way that how you are going to handle the data, um, keep consistency in the way that you are handling the data uh, in real life, it's, it's, it's very important. And I think people get engaged when you involve Communi- the community in the process, and when they get part of of this of this process together. Yeah, I totally agree. I was the notes I made while you were talking just now, Carrie, are agency, transparency, and consent, right? And I think that's actually bringing us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation when Bronwyn was talking about some of the ways that they work with communities at Data for Change to, to uh, build advocacy around data. Um, I feel like it's the same, we can kind of approach metrics and products in the same way. If we think about uh, the people using these tools, not as just end users that we're serving, but actually as contributors, like showing them that engaging them in the value production of the application and of the, the data that we're generating. And that means, you know, talking to, getting connected to folks to be able to say, like, what is it? Um, you know, what did they want to be able to know and how can we enable that as a community in a way where they are actively consenting to it and um, have agency in how to turn it off when appropriate, have the knowledge to be able to do that, like the comfort with the applications and the data to be able to potentially have that level of control as um, people who are using the tools. Yeah, absolutely. How skeptical do you think people will be? It's a good question. I wonder, um, I, I, I would, I really wonder if people actually assume that data is being collected already. <laughs> um, and so I think it, I think it'd be interesting to find out what people think is happening right now and what they would want to, um, have happen. Cause you know, I mean, there's, everyone wants these tools to be better, right? Like they're, they're using them for a reason. They want them to continue to improve. They want them to be able to do more things um, in many cases, right? Or do the things they're doing better. Uh, and I think there's probably information that people want the teams to have so that that can be the case. So I, I mean, maybe the question there is it could start from those conversations, right? Like what do, what do the people using the tools want the tools to know? <laughs> um, might be an interesting 
way to frame it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there will definitely be skeptics for sure. Uh, and I think there's ways to address that, like in what data you're actually collecting, again, coming back to the transparency piece and, and giving people um, the ability to, to not have data collected about them, right? Like giving that control over to um, the users of the tools. Yes, absolutely. Um, I wanted to, that's great. Thank you, Georgia. And Antonella, I wanted to circle back again to something you said earlier about involving people. Um, Tor has done such a great job at involving um, different communities and the people using their network in the work. Uh, could you speak to some of the, I don't I guess, successful things that you feel have been successful about um, those community gatherings or ways that you have engaged communities um, remotely? Yeah, um, something successful. I think the most rewarding part for me, for my work, is like talking with users um, that use our products every day for day, daily tools, the daily daily work tasks, and and the thing is working. <laughs> and this is not minor because you know the TAR technology has been super touchy technology, super complicated for people. Um, some people still have these mental models that you know nobody. I'm not important. Nobody needs my data. Nobody nobody's looking at me. But some some other people has a really understanding how in risk they are in their local communities with their local governments with their, I don't know, a lot of threats that people is experiencing around the world. So um, talking with people when we visit countries and understand exactly what is the need, what is the user need, and try to provide a tool that can fits on that need, it's it's really rewarding. Um, we have been talking this week, for example, with this community. Um, it's a feminist house in Colombia. Um, they have been providing abortion information um, to women and support for women who want to run abortions in Colombia. Um, and they have, you know, they are in the, this lockdown and they, they don't have infrastructure and they have been sharing uh, sensible information through OnionShare, which is a regular client, regular tour client for sharing files. Um, and they were using the tool with total confidence. And, and I, I, I was questioning myself about why they trust on us. I mean, why they trust on the tools we are building. And I think this kind of, personal relationship with communities, personal relationship with people who is using the product, it's what build this kind of trust. And, and I think that is, that is pretty nice and it's pretty cool, actually. Thank you all for being here. I want to kind of bring our time to a close and um, with one final question for each of you, which is what do you hope to see more of in the future as it relates to, you know, the data that we have and what we're able to learn about um, people and their situations? Um, what is it that you hope to see more of moving forward? 
I, Bronwyn, I could put you on the spot again because I feel like anytime I pose a question, <laughs> you're like the one to be put yeah, on was, the spot. I was hovering over the button. Um, <laughs> what do I hope to see less of or more of? <laughs> um, I think maybe less of a monopoly of data. And I'm not sure if I can explain this in a, in a very short way. But um, there are a lot of really big organizations collecting data about really important topics without understanding how what they're doing affects real people. So if we can disrupt that system and empower real people to own their own data, to collect data about themselves or to not collect data about themselves. I think that would be something um, kind of aspirational to move towards. Absolutely. The people having agency over their own data is certainly uh, unique (laughs) and you don't see it very much. (laughs) I really wish that consent becomes the default. I mean, why these extractive companies are getting all this data without letting me. I mean, it's it's crazy. So I wish that we can build technology that puts consent um, in the first place. Yeah, giving people the, the option to choose, right, before uh, just assuming it's okay to gather all of this data about you. Yeah, I think, and this is something... It's a challenge because, I, I mean, big companies have this problem, as do, like, the projects with, you know, maybe smaller, like, teams on open source projects or um, communities. I think we haven't done – I'm I'm very interested to see over the next year or so – I hope people – I wish people were doing this more now already um, for us to actually try out and experiment with new ways to make that possible. I think, you know, one of the – problems that we see so what i hope i see less of i guess maybe is um just doing consent as a like click through like we see so much as a response to the privacy regulation in europe right gdpr you end up with these um click through boxes on websites but that doesn't really give um that much agency to people so i think I also want to see this, like, can we actually do consent in ways that people have more power? Can we shift that? Um, and uh, are these are, are these conversations where we're talking about insights and metrics, actually opportunities to think of these as, um, as design problems that we can engage with more? I think that would be, I don't know, I'm excited to see what comes out of um, the project over the <laughs> next year and how people respond to it and ways that we can be creative with it because I think uh, otherwise we're just going to continue with this very like um, neither like meaningful consent nor great experience of um, the way people collect say make it okay to collect data that we really don't have a lot of control or agency in yeah absolutely I think overcoming this like click-through challenge like just let me get to what I'm trying to do it's huge it's huge it's I mean Yes, it's a huge challenge to overcome, but I think I agree with you, Georgia. There are opportunities to do this better and to shift 
I mean, overall, to shift people's thinking about data and data collection um, and what is what is okay and where they can really have agency in that full process. I just want to second everything that was brought up already for the future. I think um, if we include these pieces, we'll be doing much better than we have been in the past. Uh, and I would also love to just be able to speak more or find more ways to engage the non-represented people or the marginalized, the outliers, the ones that maybe don't show up in the data. Um, so we have more holistic understanding and just that more voices are heard within this process in general. To build on that, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about with consent is it's, you know, you, you want people to feel comfortable and you want to provide a safe way for them to kind of be able to opt into measurement. And at the end of the day, you actually, you, you want people to say yes, right? <laughs> um, we, we want to have an accurate data set, you know, that gives us an understanding of everyone, you know, across the world and all of these um, niche communities and larger communities. But really like consent is the gateway into that. Um, if people aren't comfortable being measured or say no, um, that's, data that you're not getting. So um, I think consent is really key and, um, you know, for people to feel empowered by that and empowered in what they can contribute back is really key in, in all of this and helping us get the the clearest picture of um, kind of what, what we need to understand. So thank you, um, to each of you, you are incredible, truly. And I'm so glad that we've had this opportunity to talk and to discuss, you know, data at a larger scale. And um, yeah, it's, just, it's been very wonderful to have all of your different perspectives. And um, we just look forward to seeing the great work that each of you do from here forward. So thank you. And um, that's a wrap. <laughs>